0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Old Bridge Baptist Church. Our mission at OBBC is to make disciples of Christ who connect with God, others, ministry, and the lost. We pray that the following sermon will encourage you in your walk with Christ today. Visit us on the web anytime at obb.church. If you would please navigate your way to Romans chapter 4 as I bow for one more word of prayer. Father, thank you for, Lord, your word, your eternal word. It was just read. And we thank you for the gospel. Father, we pray that um, as your word is preached now, that you would uh, open up our hearts, Lord. May your word fall on Lord fertile ground in our hearts. Father, we pray that your spirit would speak to us, and Lord, that you would do your work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I was out for a walk the other day. and I don't know, maybe you've had an experience like this. But um, there's quite a few people out walking these days. You know, you're, you're rarely walking alone. And uh, suddenly I let out this massive sneeze. <laughs> And I I kind of, it's kind of, you know, a new experience over the past couple of months. You kind of look around like, does everybody think I have the coronavirus? (laughs) You know, have you guys felt that? It's interesting times we live in. And, um, you know, I I, I found it pretty interesting to watch through this pandemic as, you know, especially early on, there was a demand for, for testing. Uh, everybody wanted to know, do I have the virus? And uh, then they came out with these uh, testing stations. you remember when those, when those testing stations first became available and you'd see on the news these long lines of cars lying down the street, uh, people wanting to get tested. And uh, you know every, everybody wants to know if they're physically okay. But you know as a, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it, it makes me long to to see people just as urgently want to know am I spiritually okay right have we have we already moved on from this crisis to the point you know whenever there's a crisis there's a sensitivity that people feel to the things of the Lord but uh, as things open back up and we, we slowly gain our freedoms back um, you know have we moved on or or are we eager are we urgent to know? Is our faith genuine? Is our faith real? Um, you know, it, we've been talking the past four weeks or so, four or five weeks, really, about how ungodly people like you and me can stand before a holy God and actually be declared righteous. It's called justification. Right? How sinners can stand before... God, and, and not boast in themselves, but actually know that they have been made righteous before God, and we, we've been insisting, or, along with Paul here, that the only way to be justified before God is by faith, right? It's not, uh, there, there's not some combination of necessary components like when you're building a fire, or you know you need heat and fuel and oxygen and, and all these different things or you don't get fire, No. The, the best kindling that we can offer to God is is meaningless, is worthless, right? We, there's nothing we can bring to God in, in order to uh, light the fires of justification before him. No, God justifies us simply through belief, through faith in what he has done through Jesus Christ. So we've been insisting this. Paul's been insisting this now for, for quite some time. Um, but what we see here at the end of Romans chapter 4 is we sort of bring a lot of our discussion on, on justification by faith alone to a close we see that it's not only important to know that you are are justified by faith alone but it's also equally important to know what kind of faith alone you need right so it's important not just to have faith alone but a certain kind of faith alone do you have the kind of faith that Abraham has Right? If we are part of his faith family, he's the, the forefather of faith, and we are compared to him in this passage, then we need to know what kind of faith he had, because the truth of the matter is there are a lot of different things that are called faith that in reality are, are no faith at all. Right, there, If you will, there, there's sort of a lot of false positives out there as you test for faith. Um, there's a lot of things called faith that do not match what the scriptures teach. And so we're going to look at four things this morning. Four things, four um, aspects of, or characteristics of Abraham's faith. First one here I see in verse 17, Abraham's faith was knowledgeable. It was knowledgeable. Abraham's faith was anchored in actually knowing God. He he knew in whom he believed. The text says in verse 17 that Abraham believed in him who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not yet exist. I I think it's pretty astounding that Abraham here somehow, God, through his special revelation to Abraham, Abraham knew that God was both the creator and the recreator. Right? He knew that God gives life to the dead. He knew that God could speak things into existence, and it would be so. Abraham knew God. And armed with this knowledge of God, um, it, it, when, when God says to Abraham, I have made you the father of many nations right and, and by the way that the tense of that verb there i have made it's a perfect tense it means god's already done it in the past and it it, it has continuing effect now in the present right i have made it. he shows up to him and he says i have made you the father of many nations and yet abraham hadn't had any children yet how how can you have made me the father of many nations when i don't even have one offspring yet But armed with the knowledge of the God who was speaking to him, that God was both the creator and the recreator, Abraham rested in the knowledge of who God was. He he was able to believe in what God promised him. It just makes me, me long to, to say to you, to everyone who hears me over the internet, oh that God's people would know in whom they believe you let it start with the house of god let us know god right those of us who who say we trust in god let us know him you know i don't know if you heard the news this week but one of my favorite theologians and and authors j.i packer went, went home to be with the lord just a few days ago at the age of 93 and um as a result of that i've i've sort of been reflecting these past couple of days about just his massive influence on not only christianity in general but in, on me in particular and um you know on a on a popular level this book is probably one of the the biggest influences that he had it's called knowing god and i've sort of touted this from the pulpit before that if you've never read this book this is worth your 10 bucks you know to to buy this book and and to read it. Um, But anyways, in this book, knowing God is what we're talking about. Abraham knew God. His faith was knowledgeable. J.I. Packer, he says this. He says, A little knowledge of God is worth more than a great deal of knowledge about him. A little knowledge of God is worth a whole lot more than than a whole lot of knowledge simply about God, right? So the, the implication being, you can know a lot in your head about God, but to really know of him in your heart is, is what's key. Right? He, he goes on to make two points. He says, one can know a great deal about God without much knowledge of him, and one can know a great deal about godliness without much knowledge of God. Those are points well taken. And, and then he goes on to give four points that he calls evidence of knowing God. He says, those who know God have great energy for God. Those who know God have great thoughts of God. Those who know God show great boldness for God. And those who know God have great contentment in God. Do you know the God in whom you have believed? There's no greater privilege. You know, all the the trappings of religion are just that. They're trappings. But the, the real... The real aim of all of this, of all that we do, is to know the Father through Jesus Christ, being filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing Him by experience. And if I could add to that, that idea of just the the importance of knowing God, the object of your faith is is of, of utmost importance. You know, both sets of extended family between Michelle and I, my my parents and my sister, and her parents and her sister, all live at least a day's journey away by car, right? And so, imagine with me for a moment that my family and I, we we load up into our minivan, and uh, we take a family vacation to go see the grandparents. Right And before we, we take that trip, the, I make sure the van looks great. Right, I take it to the car wash, I get it washed, I vacuum it out, I get it all, all ready to go, we get it loaded up, and I just have great confidence in this van. I put a lot of faith in this van. But meanwhile, under the hood, I don't know it, but the, the, the transmission is on its last legs. Right, It doesn't matter how good i feel about that van if the object of my faith is is not reliable right that van is going to fail me it doesn't matter how strong my faith is in it it, it can fail me you, you can i heard kent hughes or, or read kent hughes this week he talked about it uh, in terms of ice you can have great confidence in thin ice right but that that confidence is going to fail you you're going to plunge through that ice and, and potentially die in your faith on the other hand let's say that even though maybe there was nothing wrong with my van let's say I was a a nervous type of person and I was so nervous that my van was going to break down even though there was nothing wrong get in my van and maybe I'm I'm white knuckling it all the way down to the grandparent's house right but I arrived because the van is solid right so the, the, the strength of my faith in the van is not as important as the trustworthiness of the object of my faith and the same thing is true when it comes to God Right? the strength of your, your faith is important and, and Paul's going to be talking here about uh, the strength of Abraham's faith but it's not as important as the object of your faith and when you know who God is and you know that he is worthy of your utmost confidence um, you can know that the object of your faith is, is, is worthy of, of all of your trust Um, God is worthy of your assurance this reminds me of of the hymn I Know Whom I Have Believed by D.W. Whittle in the the fourth verse of that hymn he says I know not what of good or ill may be reserved for me of weary ways or golden days before his face I see but I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him Against that day. That's the kind of faith that Abraham had. It even says here in this passage down in verse 21 that he was fully, Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Comes from a knowledge of who God is. Is your faith in a in a real knowledge of, of who God has revealed himself to be? Do you know about God or do you know of God? Personally, test your faith. Right, test your faith with these sorts of questions, and press on to know Him truly. Verse eighteen. Here, we're going to press on to verse eighteen. In our second point, that Abraham's faith, first of all, Abraham's faith was knowledgeable, but secondly, Abraham's faith sprung from God's word. Right, his faith was in God's word. Look at verse eighteen. It says. In hope, Abraham believed against hope. In other words, Abraham hoped even when it seemed hopeless, right? Even when, when it didn't make sense, by, at least by human standards. And, and by the way, when when the Bible speaks of hope, you know, we often speak of, oh, I I hope I get an A on that test, right? Where we we say, man, I, I hope um, I hope I find my lost keys. And by that we, we it's just a, a well-wishing. But when the Bible speaks of hope, it's speaking more of an, an assured confidence. And in a lot of ways, it's a it's a synonym for faith in this passage. So it says, In hope, Abraham believed against hope. What did he hope? He he hoped that he should become. The father of many nations as he had been told so shall your offspring be abraham's hope his faith sprung from the word of promise that he had been given by god god promised him that he would be the father of many nations and that is what he hoped in his hope was connected to the word in other words abraham didn't presume upon god's promise by hoping something that that God didn't presume. You know, we we tend to be like kids who come to their their dad and ask, Hey dad, can we have pizza for dinner tonight? And the dad turns to the kids and says, I'm open to the idea, but I don't know what your mom has planned. But somehow, by the time that message gets taken by the kids to the mom, it comes out as, Dad said we're having pizza tonight, right? We tend to be like that, right? We, we latch on to something in God's Word that, that maybe wasn't even directed to us. So, for example, saying something like, Wow, God promised that Abraham would have a son. That means, I'm going to have a son if I believe enough no that's not a good application of god's word right and that's sort of a silly example but we do it in 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 lesser ways as well right we need to attach our hopes to promises that god has actually made to us i hear preachers and teachers all the time making wild applications from god's word um, that that make it seem like he's promised all sorts of things that he hasn't promised and and you need to, to Turn away from that kind of preaching. It, it, it ends up being nothing more than, than really just motivational speaking, promising that with faith in God, you can be healthy, wealthy, and, uh, and successful in some way, right? And God has not promised it. Whether you end up being successful and healthy and wealthy or not, God has not promised you those things from his word. Father Abraham's faith wasn't presumptive. It sprung from God's actual word of promise to him. So Abraham's faith was knowledgeable. It was connected to God's word. And thirdly here, Abraham's faith embraced reality. Look at verse 19. Abraham's faith wasn't detached from reality. He knew... That what God was promising was was not actually physically possible in, in human terms, right? Look at verse 19. It says that Abraham considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old at the time. These were the facts of the situation, right? Abraham, his body was as good as dead. He was almost 100 years old, and yet God was promising him that he would have a son. Now, Abraham didn't deny that fact. The text says he considered it. right? Now, I, I do need to say that if you have an older translation that's based on the Textus Receptus, if you have a, a translation like the King James Version, for example, verse 19 will actually say the, the exact opposite. In the King James, it says, he considered not his own body now dead. And, and what you need to understand is that since... The, the time when when the King James was translated, there have been older and and better manuscripts that have been discovered and it, it was determined that this word not was inserted by a scribe somewhere along the way. More than likely a, a scribe was reading this and and probably thought it was embarrassing that that Abraham considered these things and thought it was better for that it looked better if you considered not these things right it was added in at some point but the older and better manuscripts and thus all the modern translations actually will say that abraham considered his own body he didn't deny reality he didn't turn a blind eye to it he considered it right he was fully cognizant his faith was rational in other words it wasn't it wasn't irrational he he fully was aware of the situation and not only did he consider his own body but he also considered the barrenness of sarah's womb sarah was 90 years old right and even when she was young she was barren so you know the 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 likelihood of her having a child at this age was was slim to none it was impossible and yet Abraham didn't deny this reality, he considered it, and he embraced this reality alongside the reality of who he knew God to be. Abraham knew that reality actually included the fact that God could easily do what was humanly impossible to accomplish his promises. Right? Abraham knew and believed that the God who gives life to the dead could give life to his body which was as good as dead and, and cause him to, to bear a son. Abraham knew and believed that the God who simply speaks things into existence, things that do not now exist, could create offspring for him with a simple word from his mouth. Right? That's what Abraham believed. Didn't deny that reality. He embraced that bigger reality of who God is. Abraham, like faith, doesn't deny reality and embraces it And uh, faith considers the obstacles in the way of what God has said and concludes that the reality of God is greater than those obstacles. I think faith these days is often treated simply like a virtue. It's treated like a virtue, like um, simply like being optimistic, right? Or even worse yet, sometimes faith is, is touted as if it were the so-called law of attraction. You guys heard of the law of attraction before? This, it's this idea that we have the ability to attract into our lives whatever it is we're focusing on, whatever we're thinking about, and that we can somehow, through faith, right, so-called faith or positive thinking, sort of convert our, our positive thoughts about ourselves or our situation into reality. This is taught from, from pulpits. From churches. But that's not what faith is. Right? The the so-called law of attraction will, will teach you to to say things to yourself like, I am blessed, I am strong, I am healthy, I am talented. Right? Even if those things may not be true. I am beautiful. Whatever. Those things may not be true about you. And and it's false to teach someone to embrace a, something that's not true about themselves. Right? Those things may or may not be true, but we don't teach people to embrace falsehood in, in, in hopes that God will somehow bring it into reality. Faith is not turning a blind eye to reality. Faith is turning to the reality of God and his promises and finding hope in him and what his word actually promises to do. I don't know if you've ever watched, there's a a documentary out there called American Gospel. I've showed it to a number of people here in the church. Um, And let me tell you, if you've never seen it, I want to commend it to you. You need to watch this thing. Um, It's actually available to watch for free on Netflix if you have Netflix. Um, But if you don't have Netflix, I also have the DVD. I'd be more than willing to, to lend it out to you. But this documentary, American Gospel, will open up your eyes to a lot of false teachings being propagated in our country around this sort of thing, this this sort of twisting of what faith is. And you really need to be warned about this stuff. I mean, I'm telling you it's more prevalent than you than you would think. In this documentary, it it actually interviews a guy who um, gives a testimony of when he was sort of caught up in this word of faith movement, uh, you know, this sort of law of attraction thinking. And he he gives a testimony of standing before an ATM and the ATM is out of money. And he refused to accept that reality in faith, right? He rebuked the ATM for being out of money. This is the kind of teaching that's out there. Right? We we don't put our faith in something that we wish or hope for. We're, We're not wishing upon a star. We're placing our faith in God's actual promises just like Father Abraham did. So Abraham's faith was knowledgeable, Abraham's faith, forgot my second point, Abraham's faith was knowledgeable, it sprung from God's word, it embraces reality, and then fourthly, Abraham's faith was strengthened even as he himself weakened, verses 19 through 21. Abraham's faith strengthened as he weakened. Paul describes Abraham's faith as a faith that did not weaken when he considered his obstacles. He didn't waver in unbelief, the text says, but rather grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able. Now, this description of Abraham has always puzzled me. I don't know if it it has puzzled you as you've read it, but if you know the story of Abraham, if you go back to the book of Genesis, Abraham, from my perspective, Abraham's story is riddled with, with sinful choices and, and checkered with unbelief. right? Let, let's list some of those things, right? Both he and Sarah, when he heard the promise from God, what did they do? They laughed. They laughed at the giving of the promise, right? Um, secondly, Abraham, in in fear, not in faith, hid the fact that his wife was his wife and told a half-truth, saying that that Sarah was actually his sister to to, um, protect himself first from Pharaoh and then from Abimelech, two kings. And then thirdly, and this is probably the most significant one, Abraham and, and Sarah, in an attempt to fulfill the promise of God that they would have offspring, sort of try to tried to bring that about according to the flesh, and and Sarah hatched the idea to give Abraham her servant, Hagar, so that Abraham could have a child. Not through her, but through her servant. That was sort of their their way of trying to uh, bring the promise into reality in their own strength, right? Um, And and sort of in, in an odd way. So... It's clear here that, that even though, I think, I think what, the way we can reconcile this, what, what Paul says here when he's describing Abraham, this is actually very encouraging, I think, that, Abra- that Paul looks back on Abraham in the book of Genesis. And even with his checkered history, Abraham sees, or Paul sees in Abraham a faith that did not waver, that did not weaken, but actually grew stronger over time. Right? It was the trajectory that that Paul's looking at here. It was the fact that Abraham's faith persevered even through trial, even through failure, even through difficulty. As, As Abraham's body weakened and his own ability to fulfill the promise became more and more absurd, Abraham never gave up hope, and that is true. His faith did not waver. It actually grew stronger over the years, not because of Abraham's faithfulness to faith, but because of God's faithfulness to him. The text even says here that in this faith, it was the type of faith that gives glory to God, right? As he gave glory to God. All the glory goes to God for the the perseverance of Abraham's faith, and all the glory goes to God in your life of faith as well as you step through various difficulties and trials in your life and you come through that, that tribulation, through that difficulty and you look back and you say, man, why didn't I lose my faith through that? <laughs> you look back and you say, man, as a matter of fact, God sh- used that difficult situation that could have crushed my faith. He used it to grow it stronger. Right? And then you praise God and you give all glory to Him. That's the kind of faith that we're talking about. That's the justif- justifying kind of faith. This is the experience of, of every Christian pilgrim. We must all, I think, learn the lessons of 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, where, where Paul speaks of having a thorn in the flesh. Right, and what He prayed uh, that the Lord would take it away multiple times, and, and what did the Lord say to him? He said... My grace is sufficient for you. right? And my, my power is made perfect in what? In your weakness. We, we must all learn those sorts of lessons. And we must all learn the lessons of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, where, where Peter talks about our, our faith being tested as genuine, more precious than gold, right? Through the furnace of trial. There is a tested genuineness of faith that emerges on the other side. And it's more valuable than the most precious treasure that this world can think of, like gold. These are sometimes the experiences that we learn by faith. True Abrahamic faith strengthens even as you are weakened. So to summarize here, It's important not just to have faith alone, but a certain kind of faith alone. Do you have a faith like Abraham's faith? Abraham's faith was knowledgeable, it sprung from God's word, it embraced reality, and it strengthened even as he weakened. It persevered. As Christian pilgrims, we too, like Abraham, find ourselves somewhere between faith, the fulfillment of our faith don't we 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 find ourselves as, as theologians sometimes say we're in between the already and the not yet right there are certain things that are already true that God has promised and we already have received them but there's also a whole host of things that we are looking forward to that are not yet fully realized in our life we're between the already and the not yet between faith and fulfillment Or the way Paul Tripp put it, he said that we are at the intersection between promise and reality. That's where we find ourselves. That's the the road that we as pilgrims are walking. And so how do we apply this text to our lives as, as those who are at this intersection between promise and reality... We don't really have to do a lot of work here. Paul actually bridges us to the application himself right here in the text. And and what I see here is in verses 22 through 25, that Paul bridges the the promise given to Abraham. He connects that directly to the promise given to us in the gospel. The gospel is our promise that we are to latch onto the the way Abraham latched onto the hope of receiving a child we are to latch on to the gospel the gospel is our promise look at verses 22 through 25 here Paul says that that is why his faith was counted that having this kind of faith is why Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone but for ours also it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus, our Lord. I think it's fascinating how Paul connects Abraham's story to our own. Abraham, who lived thousands of years ago and walked and talked with God and was promised these things that maybe we don't immediately connect with, like having being the father of many nations and receiving a, a child by faith. What does that have to do with you and me? Well, Paul connects the dots here, and he tells us, Just as Abraham believed in God, who could give life to his body, even though his body was as good as dead, and in so doing, Abraham became an heir of the world by faith, so too we are called to believe in him who raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses, verse 25 says, and was raised for our justification. He was delivered for up for our trespasses. Isaiah 53, the Old Testament reading we had this morning, makes it clear that God delivered up his own son. Much like in the story of Abraham, later God would ask Abraham to take that promise, promised son that he had received and take him up to the mountain and to deliver up his son to death. Right, as a, a picture of what God himself would one day do. But God stopped him in the nick of time right, and, and, and supplied for Abraham a substitute. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. Isaiah foresaw that Christ would be wounded for our transgressions. and But that's not all, thank God, for he was also raised for our justification. What does that mean? Far from being defeated by death, Jesus Christ was was vindicated in his righteousness when God raised him from the dead. And his vindication means nothing short of justification for those of us who believe. Faith for Abraham looked forward to the promise, but for us we look back on what Christ has done in faith. Will you repent of your sins and believe in him today? And for those who have already done that, for for those of you who are already Christians, I want to encourage you this morning, don't settle for mere optimism. Don't follow the crowd in turning faith into a mere law of attraction. Don't take your eyes off of him In the intersection between faith and fulfillment, between promise and reality, I want to encourage you in two ways specifically. One, know the object of your faith, get to know better the object of your faith. Remember this morning that the object of your faith is completely reliable. You know, you can spend your days stressed out and anxious, not fully, you know, trusting in, in. and and wondering if, if the object of your faith is going to let you down. But as Christians, we don't need to do that. The object of our faith is sure. You can cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And you can take everything to him in prayer and know that the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Turn off the TV. Turn off the phone. Open up your Bibles and read his word. And get to know him. Get down on your knees and pray to him and know him through the fellowship of prayer. Christian, know the object of your faith. And even challenge you to go deeper by, by maybe reading a book like Knowing God. Dig deeper in, in even with those saints who have gone before you and have, have shared their experiences and what, what they have learned from God and his word. So know the object of your faith and secondly, Know the content of his promises. Hide his gospel-centered promises in your heart. I read a, a quote from Paul David Tripp this week where he said this. He said, Think about it. When you or I are called by God to wait for an extended period, as Abraham was, often for us our story of waiting is a chronicle of ever-weakening faith. The longer we have time to think about what we're waiting for, the longer we have time to consider how we have no ability to deliver it, and the longer we have to let ourselves wonder why we have been selected to wait, the more our faith weakens. But not so with Abraham. We're told in this passage that during his time of protracted waiting, his faith actually grew stronger. And the passage tells us why. Rather than meditating on the impossibility of a situation, Abraham meditated on the power and the character of the one who has made the promise. The more Abraham let his heart bask in the glory of God, the more convinced he became that he was in good hands. Rather than a cycle of discouragement and hopelessness, Abraham's story was one of encouragement and hope. Why? Because he meditated on the right things. Christian, in addition to knowing the object of your faith, let me encourage you to know and treasure the gospel-centered promises that he has made to you. Right, Hide them in your heart. God maybe hasn't promised you a child. He maybe hasn't promised you that you'll inherit a certain tract of land or a house or, or what have you or money or promotion, fill in the blank, but he has promised you so much more in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the gospel promises of justification by faith that we've been talking about. So hide them in your heart and cherish them, pull them out in out of your heart on a regular basis and meditate on them and rejoice in them. My family and I have have just recently started a, a scripture memory program uh, that actually there's an app for it called Fighter Verses. And there's about two or three verses a week that you memorize, and we're doing it together. And uh, I'm, I've been telling everybody about it, and just want to invite you to join us with us if you want to. If, if you're like, man, I really need to, to hide more of God's promises in my heart. I really need to hide more Scripture in my heart, and um, I really want to be able to do what you're saying here, be able to pull out these these precious promises and just meditate on them instead of thinking about my circumstances or or the negative things in my life. Um, why don't you join with me and my family. Download that app and and join us. You can be memorizing the same scriptures that we're memorizing on a weekly basis. And in so doing, be encouraged to hide God's Word in your heart. If you want more information about that, feel free to come and talk with me. So uh, those three points of application for you this morning. Know the gospel is your promise. Focus on that. Secondly, know the object of your faith. And thirdly, know the content of his promises treasuring them up in your heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your precious promises to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, I thank you that, um, Lord, though we are are sinful and ungodly, Lord, you have promised to us, through our Savior, Lord, to, to declare us righteous, adopt us as your children. Lord, you have promised that we, like Abraham, shall inherit the world through Christ. Father, I pray that you would encourage your saints this morning to build them up. Pray that you would draw people to yourself, Lord, who perhaps have never believed. Lord, give people insight to know if they if they have a counterfeit faith that is maybe, Lord, looking just for the benefit of that you can give to them, Lord, but is in a genuine faith trusting in the promise of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would open up hearts and, and minds to, to see who Jesus is and what he's done, and I pray that you would draw people to yourself today to, to place their faith in you and in you alone. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.